What's going on, guys? My name is Dan Wynn, and... Welcome back to the Military Cash Flow! Welcome to the Military Cash Flow. Hey, so today we have a great guest. It's a two-time repeat. We got uh, Adam, Whit Adam Whitney coming on today. He's going to be talking to us about alternate means of investing. He's going to be talking about um, wholesaling, right? And then, and then also... also he's gonna, hey, hey, guys. And then also he's going to be talking about Amazon automation. So today's going to be a great episode. If you guys, uh, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit the like button, hit the thumbs up button. Everybody do the thumbs up. Boom. Everybody do the thumbs up, hit the thumbs up button and hit the notification bell. So you can get notifications when we're recording new videos. Also, if you don't know already, make sure you go to militarycashflow.com and you can get all of our awesome merchandise. And then also we got the Facebook group there. We've got a bunch of service members there um, helping each other build wealth and create cash flow. Uh, we also have uh, Mike's awesome book that you see in the background. So go check out militarycashflow.com and you can see all of our great information. With that said, let's go ahead and get into um, Adam's video. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby. And this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, family? This is Military Cash Flow. Hey, Mike is having some technical difficulties right now. So um, it's just going to be me and Adam today. We got a repeat offender. We got Adam on the line today. He's, uh, he's going to share with us uh, what he's been up to, right? And also, uh, we're going to talk about some alternate ways to build that military cash flow. We're going to be talking about some uh, affiliate marketing. Uh, I'm sorry, some... Um, uh, wholesaling and then also some uh, Amazon, uh, some some Amazon techniques. So let's let's get into that, man. Uh, Adam, can you first give us a recap of kind of who you are for maybe those who haven't heard the the first uh, episode? Give us a recap of who you are, what you do, where you're at, and uh, th those things, please. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. So I'm I'm an active duty Marine stationed in California. I've been in the service for 16 years. I'm married with two kids. I've been uh, really invested in real estate seriously since 2019 only. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, to create passive income and some active business work too. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So the last time you were on the show, you were telling us um, just like a quick uh, recap summary of where you're at. You did some, you did a little bit of everything, right? So you did some turnkey investing. You did, you know, your own um, uh, purchase through a VA loan, uh, did some money lending, and then also uh, went into some syndication as well. So uh, since then, what's, what's going on with you? What's changed? What's, you know, what's happened? And then we'll kind of get into some uh, to some of the specifics of what you're doing right now. Yeah. So I, I would say for, you're absolutely right. I did a whole bunch of different stuff. And as, uh, as my wife and I did our goal setting this year, we, we determined like focus was going to be my thing. Um, I, I think as an entrepreneur, you see opportunity in everything. So you're, you're apt to just kind of like, Oh, that's a great thing. Of course it is, but stay focused is the goal this year. All right. So October of last year, I really started um, looking for deals. I found there are really two, two real superpowers in real estate that I think are highly underestimated and not talked about enough. 
Number one is finding deals. And number two is raising money. If you can do those two things, you can do anything in real estate, finding deals and raising money. So when I looked at finding deals, I, I looked at the wholesaling community, which I think gets somewhat of a bad rap and, and is kind of not understood. And it gets a bad rap because there's a low barrier to entry. So I started, um, I joined a group of I got with a group of smart people who know what they're doing and learned as much as I could from October, November, December. I started marketing, got some stuff under contract, hit some bumps in the road, and um, I'm continuing to market all virtual. And dude, that's a common trend, you know, get with some smart people and, and start getting getting it going, you know, and uh, learn from those who have done what you're trying to do, right? So common theme. And I love what you said there. So uh, let's get into it, man. So wholesaling. So you already talked about how that, you know, wholesalers get a bad rap. I myself um, kind of went into uh, the wholesaling piece a little bit. I had some some issues with it, but um, I might be might be uh, bringing that back. So tell me, please, um, what are you doing? Where are you focused at? Uh, where are you focusing at? What markets? And then how are you doing that virtually with uh, while having a full time job? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. So I'm in the Tampa market. I'm anticipating a move there. Um, shortly next quarter or so. So I, I love that market. I looked at the macroeconomics of it. I looked at the supply and demand from cash buyers to available inventory. And I decided Tampa was the place I wanted to be. Um, so that was kind of the, that was kind of the first step. And then I had to figure out marketing and sales. Cause that's what, that's what wholesaling really is, is stuff on the MLS is not you're not finding it at a discount. It doesn't make sense a lot of times for burrs. It doesn't make sense a lot of times for, depending on your market, of course, you know, like Fayetteville might be better. So found, found the supply and demand. I decided my marketing channel was going to be cold calling. There's a multitude of marketing channels you can use. It can be, um, it can be cold calling. It can be pay per click, which is ads on the internet. It can be, um, direct, it can be direct mail. So like all the postcards, all the investors listening right now, get who drives them crazy. Those are guys who are calling, uh, to buy your house at a discount. And, uh, yeah, so that I, I decided on cold calling, but of course be an active duty, uh, like you, Dan, I just, I don't have time to call 15,000 phone numbers over three weeks. Like my callers did. So I had to outsource it. And I went with overseas virtual assistants to help me with that. Um, it was, it was relatively, it's not as expensive as some of the other stuff. And I like the personal interaction, people talking to people. So that's what I did for marketing. Yeah, man. Uh, those, th what you just hit there, you said, so because you have, uh, because you're working full time, you know, you're, you're a Marines officer and obviously you got some people that, that you have responsibilities uh, for you owe, you know, you, you owe that to your, to your team there. Um, you figured out a way to mitigate and actually still, you know, uh, still be able to, to, I guess, systemize in a way that you're able to free up your time, basically. And you do that through cold calling. Um, I did the same thing there. And, I, you know, I had some foreign cold callers. Uh, some of the issues that I were, was having that I'm curious how you're, how you were uh, combating that is um, training them and making sure that, you know, uh, they're, they're kind of doing what you want, you want to do. So how do you combat that? Yeah, so for me, I had to I had to outsource the hiring process initially. 
And I've had to do it twice now because the first company I used didn't work out. There were some unreliability issues. And then um, some of the other guys in the, the wholesaling space. One thing about the wholesaling space is people will find a way to monetize everything they do. So if you're trying to do something somebody else is doing, I guarantee you they're selling it. So I did outsource the hiring of cold callers. Um, and, and there's going to be some level of leadership and training that has to happen with them anyways, because every business is a little different. So you may want the cold callers to handle certain situations um, the way you like it to be handled in your business model. And you might want them to enter them into your CRM or customer relationship management system a certain way. You might want them to pre-qualify leads a certain way. So there's some, there's some level of involvement. Um, you just gotta, you gotta make the time to do it. Yeah, man. Spot on, dude. So the uh, really quick, I, we forgot, uh, cause you know, we both know what wholesaling is and we both kind of, you know, have dipped and dabbled it in a little bit. And obviously you're going for, you're going hard on it right now, but uh, for our listeners, some might not know what wholesaling is. Can you give us a brief summary of what wholesaling is? Um, yeah. Just give us a brief summary of that. Yeah. So there are basically what wholesalers do is they market to people who do not have their house listed for sale. They, they pull list of um, people who might be potentially motivated to sell their house or need help in some kind of way. Turns out a lot of people don't know they can get all cash for their house, um, even though they probably seen bandit sides everywhere. But yeah, like people just don't know, like, Hey, I've got this problem and I don't think it's solvable. So they just call these people cold, hence cold calling. Um, they tell the person they can solve their problem. In exchange, they're going to need some equity in the house. So if somebody's willing to sell their house for cheaper and get their problem solved, a wholesaler will get it under contract. Now, here's here's where I think wholesaling gets a better at. Um, I, I don't like to say I'm wholesaling. I like to say I'm a real estate investor because when you get something under contract, you have multiple exit strategies. I can purchase that house myself. I can purchase it and rehab it and sell it. I can purchase it, rehab it and keep it as a rental. Um, or I can assign that contract to another investor for a, a small marketing fee, right? So wholesalers, like let's say I get a house under contract because I'm doing marketing, which is costing me money. And I say, Dan, this house doesn't fit my criteria. Do you want this house? You're like, yeah, I do. Okay, a couple thousand dollar marketing fee. And I push the house over to you. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our Military Cashflow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, 
We'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. All right. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. I love that you said that there too. Like you're an entrepreneur, not just a wholesaler. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with wholesale and what he's talking about there, as far as wholesale is getting bad raps, I think there's a, a few different ways wholesalers are getting bad raps. One from some people are just trying to take off more, take uh, take more, you know, profit than they really need. Right. Uh, some people are not really being fully honest and truth and truthful with the whole entire process. They're saying like, Hey, I'm literally going to buy it cash. And, you know, they might not really have the money to do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's um, very interesting. You know, you're saying your wholesale is multiple outs and you actually have the capability to do that. So it's not like, Hey, I'm just only trying to make a quick check. It's more so I'm trying to actually solve a problem for you the best way possible. Like you, as in the person that, uh, that, that has the issue, right? So um, multiple outs selling, or you can buy it yourself, flip it and you got multiple outs, man. That's just, that's awesome, dude. So um, you're in Tampa. Why did you choose a Tampa market? Well, a couple of reasons. One, I looked at macroeconomics and looked at migration patterns. Um, and looked at kind of, Florida. <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to Florida and the Southeast and obviously um, Las Vegas and Arizona are big too. But yeah, I looked at migration patterns from a macroeconomic perspective. And then I, then I went down into my market and I looked at how much inventory was available and then I looked for, I just looked up everybody, like how many cash buyers were buying houses cash. So inventory available, cash buyers, supply and demand. I know it's a really, it's a hot market. So it's a little bit saturated with investors, but I mean, every market's competitive in some way. You're right, man. You're right. So um, wholesaling, that, so that's a piece. Let's talk about some of the other things that you're doing as well, right? So you, you talked about uh, you're doing the wholesaling, but you also mentioned pre-show that you're doing something with Amazon automation. W what's that about? Yeah, so I, I, kept seeing, uh, I kept seeing all these people posting um, about Amazon automation. I just started asking around about it. I, I didn't believe that, uh, I just didn't think it was viable. I, I mean, this is like Forex trading scam stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I kept deleting those people off the internet from me and well, what it turned out to be is as I started vetting it, it's, you know, a lot of these guys are doing one of two or three kinds of Amazon investing. And one thing, the thing I invested in was a retail arbitrage model, uh, or drop shipping model where basically I, I, it's a paid for you service. You pay a, a upfront fee. They help you set up your store. And then they manage everything, product research, shipping, customer service. The only thing you manage is you get an LLC set up, you get a checking, a business checking account set up, you register it to the Amazon account, money comes in and you make sure you pay your card. So you pay your card, right? So the VAs, your card is attached to suppliers. So the VA, when an order comes into Amazon, it's on your store. You have not paid. You may or may not have paid for that order. Like you, as a retail arbitrage guy, you didn't pay for that order yet. You have a supplier. 
So then what they do is they go into your supplier, they see the order come in, they order it, it ships directly to the customer, they order it on your business credit, and then they've already, the, the customer's already paid for it. It sounds complicated, it's really not. So you well, have an in-buyer. So let's break it down. Let's say me, right? So I go online yeah. and I go online and I see a widget and this widget looks pretty dope. And I'm like, all right, man, this widget is 15 bucks. I'm like, all right, yeah. I, I really want that widget for 15 bucks. I click on it and I buy it. Where do you fall in, in, in that? Okay, so you bought it from little known to you, a third party seller. That third party seller is me. And I see that order come in. Oh, he paid, he paid me $15 for the widget. I go to my supplier. I purchase that widget for $5 and I have it directly sent to you. Are you directly sending it? Are you directly sending it to me or does it come directly from the, um, I, I guess basically, are you holding that inventory to actually ship to me or is it, so how does that, how does that no. work? No, you don't hold the inventory. The inventory is hold that, held at the supplier. Um, so, which is completely, you know, which is fine. Amazon doesn't actually allow drop shipping. Um, you know, a lot of people are doing drop shipping from, you know, retail arbitrage, but I think, uh, I think it's problematic for Amazon and they don't necessarily like it. So they're really strict on sellers, but you don't hold the inventory. Okay. So, and, and here's, it's a volume game. So I'll give you an example, right? In December, I had $108,000 worth of orders on the sales side. Um, and then there's a bunch of returns in there. And then Amazon office obviously takes their cut, right? So what it really turned out to be was about um, ten dollars to $11,000 in gross profit. Um, because, and then we, so if we spent a hundred thousand, that meant, or if, if somebody ordered a hundred thousand dollars and we spent eighty nine ninety thousand dollars so there's an old, like a 10, $11,000 yeah. gross profit in there in that month. Okay, great. I now there, there, so there are some, there are some problems and some risks though, that we should definitely talk about. Yeah. Let's definitely talk about that. So, but really quick on, on that widget example, right? So basically what you're saying is off, off that $15 widget, you bought it for five, you ship it out, the supplier ships it out, right? To fulfill the actual order. And then Amazon takes their cut. And what you end up off of that $15 sale is maybe uh, $3, three or $4 or so based off of what, you know, uh, the model that you explained from the hundred $100,000. Is that, is that about right? Yep, that's right. Okay. It's pretty Understood. simple. All right. So what are, what are some of the risks? And uh, I guess some of those things that if you're going to pursue this, um, you might need to just, just make sure you're, you're uh, looking out for. Yeah. So the risk with Amazon, number one, Amazon is incredibly strict on their sellers because there's really no barrier to entry to selling on Amazon, right? You can sign up for an account and for $39.99 a month and sell pretty much anything on Amazon. So Amazon looks at metrics. If you signed up for an account in month one and sold a, a brand new account and sold volume, mass volume, Amazon would probably flag your store and hold your money because they have this, they have this velocity model from millions of sellers. Like very few sellers should be able to jump on in month one and push a hundred to $200,000 in sales. Um, 
So you, you have, you have to be careful. They have a velocity model and their velocity model of how fast you can or can't grow is not, it, it's not concrete and they don't advertise it. So people don't actually know. So you, you want to grow slowly with a new store. The other, so, um, really quick, if they flag your account, what, what happens with that? I mean, do they just not give you the money period or they, you have to show that growth like for a longer period until they actually give you until they actually pay you basically. Yeah, you're on a 90-day probation period, I think, out of the gate is what it is um, with a brand new account. And if, if they, so they flagged my account a couple of times for, <laughs> so here's the well. thing you, here's the thing you can't control is you can't control customer feedback. Customers ordering on Amazon say crazy stuff in their feedback. And Amazon doesn't care, like if a package didn't show up because FedEx lost it, Amazon does not care. You are the reason as the seller that that package didn't show up. So if, if, a, if a customer goes on and leaves you a bad comment, it hurts your statistics. So like your order defect rate and things like that. Then Amazon doesn't let your products um, be shown as, as much as other products. So the, there's a lot of risk there. They can also hold your money. So if you have $70,000, $80,000 leveraged, Amazon can hold your money. They pay two times, two Fridays a month, like, a, like every two weeks kind of thing. And they have a seven day hold period on the money that comes in for returns. So there's this whole like cycle you have to figure out. But if you had 70, 80, 90 grand leveraged and Amazon said, hey, we're not sure what your store's doing. You can keep selling, but we're gonna hold your money. Could be for up to 90, 120 days really if they wanted to. And I think 90 might be their max. Then you, you're stuck paying that bill until you can get your money back out of Amazon. So mm. it's not, it's not a, it's not for, in my opinion, Amazon drop shipping, FBA, whatever model, like you need to be comfortable and have some capital and be financially sound. Like you shouldn't don't jump onto the Amazon train to get rich today. Cause you have no money. That's a bad idea. Yeah, see, so you're, so you're not making it sound too good right now, man. <laughs> so like, but it's great. It's good that you're putting out that actual, you know, warning. Cause a lot of people come on and you want to talk about how great things are, how you, you can get rich overnight, you know, like through the, the FBA model. Um, so that's really good to know. They can hold it for 90 days and you got to be prepared to uh, basically weather that storm. Right. Um, so, so how are you seeing, so how long have you been doing it and how, how have you seen this uh, grow for you? What has your, been your experience? Yeah. So I, I invested with a, a partner of mine just to kind of buy down risk. Cause we didn't, we were, there was some uncertainty around this thing. And I started in August and I had three slow months as you would imagine. And then December blew up for me. And I think across, I actually am invested in two different models, two different stores. And in December, we had about, I want to say roughly 12 grand in net profit between the middle of November up to December. So there's money to be made. And that's the people, that's the shiny object that people see like, oh, I can make 12 grand. And that's why I said, make sure you can afford to make 12 grand in case something goes wrong. Got it. So what's been your like return on investment with that 12 grand made? If you had to like, it doesn't have to be specific, but yeah, just... no, I can, I can tell you um, exactly. So these stores go for, 
for somebody to do it all for you, they're asking you to pay twenty to forty thousand dollars upfront just to get in. So, um, my return—I'd have to calculate my return over the year, but it's—it's like—I mean, that month was—I mean, let's—you made twelve grand and you paid thirty grand to get in. Yeah, in month one, so thirty-three percent. Yeah, the returns can be pretty good. They can be pretty good. Almost half. Almost. Almost fifty. Almost fifty percent. So that's good. That's great, man. Um, and then it just do you, as far as like November and December. I mean, because I mean, those are clearly like holidays months. Is that do you do you think that's a uh, I guess an anomaly as far as the months are concerned? Do you typically see the same types of sales for you know in January and February as you see in November and December? I, I imagine it might be a little bit different. I guess it depends on what you're selling too. But uh, w- what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it just, I think it slows down uh, for first quarter is kind of what, what I'm seeing. It's still steady state. Uh, it can still be steady state, right? Like you could still make, even if you only make 12 grand in that, that first quarter and you only make two or three grand in January, like that's still two or three grand made. So, if, you know, if you buy a property and you put $30,000 down, you might get $400 in cash flow but you don't have nearly the risk. You don't get depreciation, appreciation and debt pay down and all that stuff. So this is a, this is a higher risk investment. But it's also, like you said, it's an alternate, alternate means of, it seems like passive income. You're, you're not, I mean, how much management goes, uh, goes into it? How much uh, involvement are you in? Maybe how many hours a week do you put in? I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, uh, you don't have to put in any hours a week. You only have to pay. Uh, well, so here's the, here's the, here's kind of the issue for guys like us and your, your listeners is we're entrepreneurs. We like real estate. We like investing. We like analyzing, even though it's hands off, you can't help yourself, but to get that dopamine hit by looking at those sales go up. Right. So uh, at first I was like, man, look at this day. I did a thousand dollars this day. I did $25,000 in one day. And like, you're looking at it, but all you're really, really your only requirement is just to stay in and monitor kind of performance notifications, just to make sure your, your metrics are good. And then make sure you're managing the cycle of payments. So your business credit, you know, making sure that that doesn't go over and you get interest on and the Amazon payments are coming in because the Amazon payments come directly to your account, right? Your business account, you pay off your business credit. And then a lot of these guys will have an equity split. So you'll pay an upfront fee and then you'll have an equity split of 65, 35, 50, 50, 70, 30. I've seen a lot. With who? You mean with Amazon, the equity split with Amazon, or you mean with the actual company that set it up for you? Yep. With the third party company who's managing the whole thing. And they, you know, I, I actually like that model because it incentivizes them to manage your store well and continue to grow your sales at an appropriate rate. Excellent. Dude, I, I like this model. I, we haven't talked about this at all. And this is, uh, I mean, I'm somewhat familiar with FBA, but not like this. So I want to get into this, right? I'm listening. I'm like, all right, I have some capital. I have, you know, 30, 40 Gs. Uh, I've saved up. Um, and I, I also have a nice little uh, reserve nest egg, if you will, to, to, you know, just in case I don't get paid in 90 days or 120 days or something like that. What are the steps I need to take in order to, to make this happen? All right, let's take a quick break. 
I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our Military Cashflow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. All right. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I, I kind of started doing like a network analysis of all the people in this because there's a lot of trash out there on YouTube, which most people would turn to. Um, and I just started calling people who were providing the service and vetting them. And then I would call all the people I could see them tag or anybody who touched that, that provider and said they had a store with them. I just kept calling them. And then I'd follow that person. I'd call somebody else he tagged. And uh, it's really some, some ground, some real ground level networking you're going to have to do to vet some of these people. Or if you know somebody who has a store, reach out to them. Here's a, here, here is a, um, I don't want to say this is a problem, but I think if you're looking at this, most of these people, most of these stores, give it's referral it's it's a network referral marketing right so if i have a store and i say hey dan i'll recommend you to my guys they will give me a referral fee um so i know the steps i need to talk to you to get with somebody like you or you start from the ground level ground level and then what does that look like after you found a suitable person all right i found a company that wants you know that wants to partner with me what does it look like do they bring you on an onboard training process do they talk through like what does that what does that look like yeah, so I think a lot of these guys do it different, but the bottom line is is they, they get you rolling. So you have to do some tax exemption paperwork because uh, there's certain tax laws with e-commerce. And, you, you know, it could take like a month to 45 days to really get set up, I think. So tax exemption paperwork, you know, get an Amazon account, uh, which is not that difficult. And then set up your business checking, set up an LLC, which is all very simple stuff. Like an LLC you could do online in 20 minutes. Um, and then, you know, after a couple, once you have all those things online, a couple days that they take it, they're, they're, they're in full takeover mode. They put all the products in, they do the product research and they start moving your sales. Now, how involved are you in, are you in that process? Cause at some point, maybe you, you know, just like syndications, right. And you, we talked this your last episode, Hey, it's, it's good to, uh, sometimes jump in as a limited partner, right. Versus, um, if you're trying to eventually get to a general partner. So in the same, in the same sense of this Amazon, um, of this Amazon model, right. You're partnering with somebody that already knows what they're doing. They're giving you a, a majority percent ownership. They're still keeping a percentage as well. 
how involved are you in the process of the the setup and understanding of how to set it up if you do want to go and be hey you want to be the guy now that that's actually setting up the 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 larger business without that 35 percent stake hopefully i explained that right <laughs> no you did so what if i want to be more active in it yeah if you want to create if you want to go and create another one on top of this let's say this is your thing and you want to actually go create a create something very similar but now because do you get that know-how so you don't have to use that company again if, if you didn't want to i mean if you if you're really deep into it i think i think it's not that difficult to figure out kind of what they're doing and what vas and where the vas are that they're partnering with but i think most people jump into model i'm in aren't really interested in that however there are people who instead of paying 20, 30, 40 grand to get in a store, well, you know, they have a, they have a course for like 2000 bucks or whatever. And I'm, I'm not advocating for everybody to go buy courses or anything like that, but there are people who teach you how to do this too. Yeah. I guess that's more what I was more, what I was looking at because I know, you know, that 30, $40,000, you know, when you, when you say that, Hey, it costs 30, $40,000 to, to get into this. There's some people that are like, ah, oh, man, you know, we might, you know, have a listener. It's like, I don't have that yet, but I would be willing to learn how to do it. So maybe at a smaller investment, be able to actually, you know, pursue this type of model. So um, I think, yeah. That, yeah. I think um, Felipe, if you know, Felipe formerly on the bigger pockets, rookie podcast, I see him advertising a course. I haven't taken his course. I know he's a decent dude. So, um, but he does, he shows people how to do it using his model. But there's a million models. There's a million ways you can do this, honestly. Uh, just some research will lead you to where you want to be. I'm just curious. What does your company sell? All kinds of stuff. Like, there, like I could. Yeah. So it's like it's like it's been right. So it could be like home and garden stuff. But you're talking 100 plus items in your store. It's a volume game. It's a complete volume game. And the, it's a volume sales game. So like the, the profit on some of this stuff might be a penny. Some of it might be $5. Some of it could be $20. Some of it could be $50. It's a, it's a complete volume game. Oh, that's pretty slick. I, I thought, I assumed that, you know, you invested in kind of one product because like I got a couple books around here that uh, literally about the FBA uh, model. And it, and it sounds, it sounds very, pretty much the same thing. Um, and in that, in those books, it was telling, it was saying to basically invest in one product and be like, you know, the, the best in that product. Right. But you're talking about a whole entire section, a whole entire bin, uh, bin that, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So the FBA model is, um, I think, uh, it's a more sure, it's a more, I don't want to say there's less risk with it. It's not a, it's not necessarily a better model, but there's far less risk with FBA because Amazon has more control in that model. But there's still money to be made in the FBA model. I would explore that too. And there's people who will teach you how to do that as well. Yeah. And for those of you who are um, interested in that, it's it's a little bit different in that, um, you know, you buy product from, let's say, Alibaba, which is a, a big manufacturing website in China. Um, so you can buy a product, they'll make it, you put your logo on it, and then you send that you know, thousands of product to an Amazon fulfillment center, and they, they kind of uh, keep that and manage that there. So whenever you get an order from your store on Amazon, Amazon will send it from their fulfillment center directly to the actual customer. They'll handle customer service and things like that. So that is a different business model, um, but it sounds very similar to what, what you're doing. It's 
uh, it's really interesting, but I, I like the, um, uh, the idea of having a, a whole entire uh, bin of items, different list of items. You're kind of, I guess, diversifying yourself, if you will. So that's interesting. Okay. What are some of the things, what are some of the struggles that you've personally had? I know you mentioned some of the, um, some of the downfalls that you should definitely look out for, right? But what are some of the things, I guess, that you didn't expect that, um, that you had an issue with, or that, you know, you, you could have, knowing what you know now, you know, he would have did differently. Yeah, I think just getting the, um, seeing some of the customer comments and making sure the team that was um, taking care of their orders, like I, I just, I want a best, better customer service than you see. And it's, it's kind of ugly and you find yourself looking in there and it's kind of ugly. So that's an issue. I did, I did uh, as a new seller who sold too fast, I did have Amazon hold my money um, for a duration of time and the teams that help manage these and all that, they, they work through those problems, but some of it is out of their hands. Like they ha they're waiting on Amazon most of the time because Amazon wants to make sure the sellers are doing right by the customers. So those were a couple issues that I had. And, and I've, I've, uh, I've kind of captured some of this stuff on my Instagram to shed some, some transparent light on it. Cause I felt like a lot of people were just selling stuff. Um, but hey, there's money to be made and there's risk to be had, like with anything. Okay, so someone that listened to your first episode, right, uh, and all about real estate, and now we're transitioning into other types of real estate and even things that other types of means of cash flow that have nothing to do with real estate. Why? Why? Why do you? Why are you doing that? Yeah, for me, I think it's I think it's definitely a personal finance thing, and where you are personally. I, I love the idea of having multiple streams of income and being able to pivot quickly as the market changes. So I still love real estate. I still buy and hold real estate is still my wealth foundation. You know, passive index funds are still part of my wealth foundation, but um, I just wanted to explore another stream of income to diversify a little bit more. E-commerce is obviously, you know, not going to go away as proven by COVID. And then real estate, people are always going to need houses. And that's what I was going to mention, man. I think that's freaking awesome, right? Like looking at different streams of revenue, right? One, different streams of re revenue, diversifying yourself within those streams of revenue, right? Um, and then also, uh, it's kind of hedging your risk because like there's a lot of real estate investors, including myself and maybe you too, that because of the eviction moratorium, you might not be getting the type of cash flow that that you once were before COVID, right? So, um, so this is an easy way to keep your portfolio, your investment portfolio as a whole, still moving forward, right? Um, it, it, with the like, because you know one section of your portfolio might be underperforming uh, from what it once was, right? It, does that have any? Basically, were you affected at all by the uh, the eviction moratorium? Did that have anything to do with you, uh, with you investing into? Um, different alternate means as well. Is this like a hedge for you or is it just literally, hey, I want other streams of income, period? Yeah, so the I actually have been, a, I've never had a vacancy ever on any property. Um, so I'm very fortunate there. But I I think if you look at the macroeconomics and I'm this, nobody knows what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know it goes in cycles. I do know it goes up and it goes down. I know it's been going up for a long time. Um, so what I'm really trying to do is position is to 
get a little more capital heavy to position myself to take advantage of opportunities as they arise. So I'm not saying I'm on the sideline because I'm not on the sideline. Not at I'm all. still, I'm still hunting for real estate and buying real estate, but I'm just trying to increase my, my cash, my cash position in order to take advantage of opportunities. I love it. Love it. Yeah. So, um, so I kind of went through that a little bit myself, right. I'm still kind of going through that. Like, all right, right now I'm seeing the market and it's not looking that great as far as uh, deals, deal flow. Like you talked about the reason why you went into wholesaling, right? So what do you do? I'm sitting here like, well, I mean, there's other, op there, there's gotta be other opportunities out there that, you know, cause real estate's not looking that great as far as the, you know, investment side right now. Um, so, you know, what else out there is it that I can do? And this is an, this is a, a solid, um, solid way to continue to be out there, be investing, and then putting yourself in a better position. Um, so when the when the market does switch or there is a correction, then you can take advantage of all the deals that are out there uh, for pennies on the dollar, right? That's the yeah, that's that's the hope. I think uh, you know all, what's interesting here too today is look just if you're new into real estate and you look around you go man these guys are so far along most of the people who have big platforms today started investing at the end of the crash right so you're talking 2010 11 12 investors who are in a position to take advantage of maybe the worst real estate market we've ever seen right so I think it's we 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 compare ourselves to other people, but we have to recognize where these people made a lot of their wealth in the cycle. Yo, I love that. I've never even really thought about that until you said it. But you're you're 100 right, man. Like every uh, most of the people that have these huge platforms, they were in a position to take advantage of uh, of that situation, or they they were just starting. Maybe they weren't in the the great position, like they didn't have all the capital, but they bought a home. And they bought, you know, one or two homes in over the span of between 2010 or 2011 to 2017 there, you know, that equity that they had just skyrocketed, right? The appreciation just skyrocketed. So then they had way more capital to, to, to use towards whatever they wanted to. They could either cash out refi, took it in and easily invested into larger properties. So that, that's a, I never really even thought about that, but that's, that's a, a good thing to, good thing to know. Yeah, a lot of people made their wealth uh, 2010, 2011, just like you said, man, bunch of equity in a property. They bought in California when California was wrecked or they bought in uh, DC area and it, especially military guys, right? And it went from $100,000 and three years later, it was worth $350,000. Crazy, it's crazy the powers of real estate, right? Um, and I love I love what you're doing here um, with with making sure you have multiple streams of income and they're not really, I mean, that we're talking about Amazon is completely different than re real estate. I don't even think they really affect each other at all or have anything to do with each other. So um, that's awesome. Then you talked about the index funds as well. So um, that's, that's just great. Um, if there was, um, if there was anything that you, if there was one piece of advice that you can give anybody that's trying to do the Amazon automation, or let's go to, this is a two part. One, any piece of advice you, you could give to anybody that's trying to wholesale, right? And then two, any piece of any one piece of advice that you give to anyone that's trying to get into the Amazon automation, what would that be? Yeah, for for wholesaling, wholesaling is simple uh, in the sense that it's you should learn marketing and sales. 
those are skills that are kind of required in wholesaling. And I tell you, it's not a get rich quick scheme. So um, just be smart, learn marketing and sales and you can succeed in wholesaling pretty easy. Part two for Amazon automation, make sure you know who you're investing with. Make sure you do tons of research. Make sure you talk to people and understand what you're investing in. And that goes for any investment. If you don't understand it, I don't, I, I would kind of stay away from it. So before you make the plunge, because you hear somebody made 10, 12, $5,000 in a month, you, you should probably uh, spend a little time talking to people to make sure you understand it. Solid advice. Um, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, Adam, really appreciate it. You've been just dropping knowledge and I love the trajectory you're on uh, from, from the single families. I, I know we didn't really get too much into it, but you've also been busy on the real estate side, even though we didn't really touch too much on it as far as buying more duplexes and things. So, um, so that's great. And then, you know, and you're, you're diversifying with the Amazon automation as well. So it's just phenomenal stuff. And I really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us some, some other options as far as, you know, the military cash flow to, to build that military cash flow, right? Um, yep. How can our listeners get in contact with you? Yeah, best way to get in contact with me is on my Instagram page. It's will to win investments with underscores between that or just reach out to me on my website at my website at will to win investments.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, again, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Just dropping knowledge, dropping knowledge, dropping knowledge. Hey, if you're listening to this, make sure you uh, hit that uh, like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell if you want to um, see some more great guests like Adam here. Um, and then also, if you're listening to this on YouTube, or excuse me, if you're listening to this on uh, podcast, make sure you leave us an honest review. Um, really appreciate that. Boom, sold up the five stars for you there, man. So Let's get that uh, five star rating. <laughs> Yeah, man. So uh, give us that five star rating. Really appreciate that. Um, Adam's also in our Facebook group. He's in there uh, uh, giving out um, a lot of information, a lot of uh, answering questions and things like that, as, as well as the other service members on there. So if you if you need a if you're looking for a Facebook group um, of military service members that are investing in real estate and and also other alternate means, obviously, of, of cash flow. Right. That's the channel military cash flow. Make sure you join our Facebook group, military cash flow. Uh, you can find all that at militarycashflow.com. dot uh, With that, this is Dan Wynn signing off.